Hey everybody, this is Cindy Fish. You are listening to the At His Feet podcast. I want to invite you today to set aside your whirlwind of busyness and mental to-do list to have a seat beside me at the feet of Jesus. Now let's pursue Him together. Thank you for listening. Hello, surprise. Uh, This is episode I don't even know what at this point, but wrote some notes the other day and I wanted to just get on and share them with you. Today I will talk about some real life moments plus a moment in the Bible where Jesus made what was common and, and very little to not just enough to get the job done that he was trying to accomplish, but he made it more than enough Um, even to the point of abundance and overflow. And so that's what we'll talk about today. Last week, after a conversation with my son, a lot of this was on my mind. I just, while I was studying for something else, I quickly typed up these uh, notes and thoughts and just kind of really gathered my thoughts, not really thinking I would share them anytime soon, but on Sunday morning at the church that we were at, the bishop preached a message and he used this story in his message at the end. He said a statement that really just stuck out to me. Well, he said a lot. It was an incredible message, but he said a statement that stuck out to me. And I thought, you know, my heart is here. My mind is here. And I was just preached to on the subject. So I should really just go ahead and do the podcast. Also, on Sunday night, my husband preached about not running from the call of God as far as, you know, of course, backsliders and things like that, those that have walked away, but also those that just struggle with just saying yes is where that altar call ended up. And it was just people all over just saying, yes, God, I'll do what you want me to do, regardless of the obstacles, all these things. But both of those points from both messages are all intertwined in what I want to talk about today. And so that's why I'm recording and it is after my kids' bedtime and we had a crazy travel day. But I wanted to do something by myself as just me and not mama. So (laughs) we'll just get into it. Also, I want to say uh, it's been really neat the last maybe month or so, I've gotten to meet several people that have come up and introduced themselves and said, I just started listening to your podcast or so-and-so shared your podcast with me, or I have listened, you know, from the beginning or different things. And it's just been so nice to meet someone that has listened. And I instantly feel like I just have a friend because I've told you so many personal stories on here and so many little God moments. And um, this has been such an outlet for me. And so I haven't said it in a very long time, but really thank you for listening and thank you for coming along with me. And those that message from time to time or or even text that are friends that I've had long before the podcast or even friends that I've just met from the podcast that listen I want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. You could listen to, I don't even know how many podcasts are out there. It is insane the number of ones that are out there. And there are so many that are incredible and people that have just these amazing things to say and these brilliant minds and people that are 
wonderful with words and ones that sound a lot more professional than mine. But thank you for listening. I And I mean it. I say it every episode. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next time. But today, I want to say especially thank you. If you didn't listen, I wouldn't have a reason to record and to just share my heart, you know, not week after week because I don't always do it that quickly, but episode after episode, I appreciate you so much and I mean it. I'll go ahead and start instead of babbling, but I did think it was necessary to say thank you. I was reminded of this this feeling that I had starting when I was 18. I was reminded of that feeling once again. It's a feeling that comes from time to time. For the longest time, I didn't know how to label it. I didn't know what this was. I thought it was just me. But when I was 18 years old, you know, I've told her before, I come in the church and I'm a big old mess and a wreck and I am just everything opposite of what the church is. And so coming in, I remember feeling so inferior. It probably shouldn't be that way. But I did, and it wasn't anyone's fault that I felt that way. It was me looking around and recognizing, I don't know any of this, and I don't know anything they're preaching, and these stories that they're referencing and saying, oh yeah, you know so-and-so, I I didn't really go to Sunday school. I went to very, very small bits and pieces, but not anything consistent, and definitely not anything that was apostolic, but even basic Sunday school Bible stories I missed those. I didn't. I didn't watch Veggie Tales. I didn't. Uh, I mean, there's so many things that maybe kids would would know of these Bible stories and ways to remember. I didn't know any of the little songs or anything like that. So unless it was, you know, so I come in the church and I feel like, okay, I don't need to say anything because I don't know what they're talking about, and I just need to soak it up. So. I switched from being very outgoing and very outspoken and very center of attention in group settings to then being very quiet and observant and really just trying to figure out. And honestly, I was so broken. And I think that has a lot to do with it. But this led to me feeling inferior, very inferior. And and then add on top of that, the shame. I felt this shame for the things I had done, the things that had happened in my life, all those things. I'm not saying this is a pity party. I'm just telling you some of the places that I think this just feeling so inferior, feeling so less than came from. But that shame and that lack of knowledge silenced me. I didn't know exactly why, but I knew that I I just felt like nothing and nobody and that I was afraid to speak anything spiritual with anyone that already knew something about Jesus. Someone at the coffee shop, I would witness all day, tell them what God did for me, all this stuff. But if it was someone that I knew, knew about God already, I would be like, okay, they know more than me. I have nothing to say which is not like that. We all have something we can contribute. And at that moment, my thing to contribute was my story. My thing to contribute was exactly where I was living. I didn't have a a basis of knowledge. I didn't have this huge foundation. I was building that foundation. So my history that I could pull from and grab from of living for the Lord was, you know, a page long at the moment. You know, it was so short when others just had you know, just chapters and chapters and chapters of life that they had already lived. 
that so that's the basis of this whole story. After that, I've told you before, we know when we evangelized at the beginning, I would just say, oh, I just have nothing to say. And there was a God moment where God was like, I've given you a testimony. And he was so stern with me and corrected me like, yes, you do have something to say. It may be different, but you have something to say. You would think that that would have fixed the issue. But a little while after, I realized it wasn't just self-talk. It wasn't just me thinking, I'm nobody, I'm nothing, I've got nothing to say. Some of it was, and some of it was the factors I've already said, but I also know it was very spiritual, and I'll tell you why I know that. Last May, I was set to speak at a young girls' conference. I had spoke in a ser- you know, service before different times. Not very much, though, and I was very, very nervous and very normal, normal nervous, but also like, why did they ask me? Why would they why would they ask me? Why would they choose me? Why God, they must have made a mistake, you know, all these things. I was pregnant with Elias. We were staying in a hotel room in the city. My uh my two oldest, so Ezra and Abby, were with my mother-in-law staying with her the night. Taylor's asleep. I'm asleep and I get woken up. I but I'm still dreaming if that makes sense. So I'm I'm not quite out of it yet, you know, or not quite in it yet. But I just sense and I feel just this this dark spirit uh, looming over me, just something looming over me to the point where I feel like I cannot open my mouth. I'm trying to say Jesus. Even in that dream, I'm trying to say Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And it's like I can't hardly open my mouth. Finally, I open my mouth. And then I wake up and I look and that dark spirit is still, so it's still, still there. It's this big, dark, tall, looming spirit. Like when I say looming, I mean like hunched over, leaned over me. And I didn't, I did not realize fully uh, what, what I, what this was for years. But in this moment, I was made aware, hey, this is not just you. This is also spiritual. And so I get Jesus out. I say, Jesus. And, and I I wake up and I'm, I'm, I start praying. I, I just, I got mad and I got bold and I was just fed up. Sometimes when we have spiritual things like that, we have to get fed up and realize, hey, I have authority over this. I have the Holy Ghost and I I don't have to deal with this. And so so I start I start saying I I'm mad. I told you I'm mad at this point. I start saying, you know, I will not be silenced. I will no longer be afraid. You will not intimidate me. I will not be shaken. I will not be swayed. I will speak. You must leave. And I, I just, I began to pray in the Holy Ghost with authority and began to tell it it needed to go. It needed to leave. I bind I bind you. You know, you, you need to leave. You have to leave. And I watched as it did leave. And that was maybe a year and a half ago. Haven't dealt with it since, and I've I've known. When I woke up the next morning, I realized that was an, that was a spirit coming to intimidate me, which made me even more like, okay, God, I I'm confident in you. I'm confident that this is what you want me to do. I'm confident that you have something for me to say because why would a spirit come and try to intimidate me and try to make me be quiet? make me scared to talk, make me feel that intimidated. And it was that same thing that I had dealt with the whole whole throughout 
living for God, but I didn't know what it was. And that morning I was able to identify, hey, that's a, that's an intimidating spirit. This last month, though, I haven't dealt with this at all, you know. This last month, though, I was brought to tears with this, like, overwhelming feeling of inadequacy. It just, just covered me as I was packing to go to a ladies' service that I was asked to speak at. And, you know, I'm, I'm not fearful. I don't deal with that. I don't deal with fear. That's not, that's just not personally something that I deal with. I don't really deal with a lot of anxious thoughts from time to time, but it's, it's gotten to where it's a lot more rare and it doesn't happen very often. So when that happened, when I was packing, um, I'm trying to pick out my outfit, you know, to wear. I'm trying to think, what am I comfortable in? What am I going to feel confident in? All this. And as I'm picking out this outfit and putting it in my suitcase, because we were going to be out of town when it was time to drive to that ladies' service. So I had to prepare in advance, you know. And as I put it in the suitcase, I'm not kidding. As soon as I put it in the suitcase, I'm just like, I'm just barraged with these like, just this thought after thought after thought after thought. Who do you think you are? Uh, what are you trying to be? Um, you're going to be perceived the wrong way. Um, you have nothing to say. You know, who do you think you are? Who are you trying to be? You're trying to be somebody. You are nobody in that, you know, and it's over an outfit. Literally, it was over the thought of, should I wear a blazer or not? But I love to wear a blazer, and so I did. It was, I'm not kidding, how dumb. Uh, it's so, it doesn't make sense, really, but that's how easy that those thoughts can come at times, and that's not me, and, and there was a whole lot more thoughts than that, I will spare you, but it was over the fact of you're trying to be something that you are not. You're trying to do this thing, which the thing is what God has asked me to do in that moment, you know, and it's a thing that I'm not as comfortable with, you know, and you're trying to do this thing and you're not even, you're not even a fit for the, for to do it. You don't even match it. You don't fit it, you know, nothing, you're nothing, you're nobody. But I realized in that moment, I realized I got really mad and I realized this is not me. And I told my husband, he walked in the room and I said, we were, it was a travel day. We were about to travel six and a half hours with kids. I knew that I didn't have the moment to go and get away and really like pray and bust through these thoughts and quiet that voice and rebuke that voice, all that stuff. So I said, babe, I am going to need time before this before that day comes, I'm in any time to pray through these thoughts because I know that's not me. And I, I started crying, not because I was like hurt, but crying because I was so mad. We're girls. Some of us cry about everything and that's me. And so I'm so mad because I knew, I knew I had been praying. I knew God had spoken to me. I knew that I had done my part. I knew I had fasted for this. I knew that I had done everything that I could do on my end, and that's all that God needed from me. And He could do whatever He wanted to do with the rest of it, but I didn't have to try to be anybody, and I wasn't trying to be anybody. And so that's where my heart and my mind was this last week. And Ezra and I, this is personal, and it might be really vulnerable to some. It might be too much honesty for some, but I'm sharing it for a reason. I'm sharing it because I'm so sick of the devil, and I know that I'm not the only one who's ever felt this way. And how do I know? 
so many people don't talk about it. I haven't really heard a lot of people that have dealt with it, but that doesn't mean that it's not happening and that doesn't mean it's never happened. I know that because I read this book by Kim Haney. It's really great. If you haven't read it, you really should. It's called Four Women Who Are Called by Women Who Have Answered. So Sister Kim Haney, she asks these questions basically, and then she sometimes has something to say in the question or on the topic. And there's several just incredible women of God who you would esteem greatly who you would think highly of, all these things, and they give their answer. And so in one of the answers, and I remember being so shocked when I read it, but uh, one, of the, one of the women said that every time that she would get asked to speak, it was so out of her comfort zone, and she would tell her husband, she would say, I have nothing to say. But I was so shocked because I thought, no, she's incredible. She has so much to say and she has so much value. But it's definitely an uncomfortable thing to say out loud or to admit. I feel inferior. I feel intimidated. I feel that I have nothing to say. I feel that, you know, whatever. But I, so I know that this isn't just me and it's not just her. And there are those of us, whether it's words for you or whatever it is that you would say, there's this thing that I know that God wants me to to try. I don't even have to be great at it, but he just wants me to try at it. And But I don't feel enough for that. I don't feel like I am enough or I have enough or I'm talented enough or fill in the blank enough for this thing that I'm asked to do. Also in the week of packing the clothes, a few days later, and then also the day that I would write all these notes, Ezra starts talking to me about the little boy that gave his lunch and it was the, you know, the five loaves and the two fish. And Ezra's like, I know how, I know how Jesus did that. He just, he just broke all those things in tiny, tiny pieces and gave a little piece to each person that was there. He doesn't understand the concept of humongous numbers yet. And so 5,000 men plus the women and children, he has no concept of there is not a small enough way that you can break five loaves and two fish and feed even a tiny portion of those people. And so I began to explain, no, no, no. Ezra, the miracle was that it just kept multiplying as they would break it and they would pass it out. The disciples were passing this out. They were seeing this miracle right before their eyes they were seeing it multiply. They were seeing these baskets that had very tiny in them become just enough, you know? And, and so I'm, I'm talking to him and I'm like, no, the miracle is that Jesus made the little that they had to be enough. And as I'm talking, you know, I, to him, I'm considering this, applying it to my life and where I was living in my mind was just racing while having this slow-paced conversation with Ezra while I cooked us dinner, reminding myself in that moment that no matter the need or situation that I'm facing or that you're facing, God will make what I have if I place myself in His hands, in the right place, He'll make it enough. The little boy offered up what he had. Though it was little, it was enough when given to God. I also want to say I mentioned that Bishop Holmes had said something in the message that just stuck out to me. He said, that boy, when he gave his lunch, he didn't know what was about to happen. But he also, he didn't know if he was even going to get to eat that day. 
That was his food. That was his portion for the day. That was what was going to keep him. And he didn't know that he was even going to get even a bite of it, much less enough to be satisfied. And I thought that was so powerful. He, he was able to offer it without even expecting it back. That sacrifice, right? But as terms of what is little, sometimes we feel like that little boy's lunch Little in comparison to the need that we're thinking that we need to feel. That we're little in comparison to the need. Little in comparison to the plan of God for your life. In the last month, I told you I'd been confronted with this overwhelming feeling of being inferior. Being inadequate for what God wanted me to do. In that conversation with my six-year-old, though, the Lord brought to my attention the end of the story. How much was left over. He is not the God of enough, like I told Ezra. He is the God of abundance, the God of more than enough. The word says that the people ate until they were satisfied, not just enough to get by, but until they had plenty. And even after that, there were still 12 baskets. Jesus is the God of plenty, not enough, but more than enough. Whatever we have, whatever the category, if we're doing our part in handling it correctly, and in placing it in His control for Him to use it as He pleases, it will always be more than enough. For me, it's words. For you, it may be your talent, your time, your finances, your business, your personality. Whatever it is, what may seem insignificant to you turns to more than enough to accomplish His will. I just challenge you, whatever you feel inadequate about, whatever you feel less than about, that you know that God is asking of you, I just challenge you to just place it in His hands and just let Him do what He does. When doing something uncomfortable for us or when pursuing a calling or when walking in a ministry, which ministry is such a huge range of things. Ministry is not just a platform or anything like that. Ministry is just serving others and loving others and serving God with our gifts and our talents. And sometimes it's serving Him in ways that we aren't so comfortable with, but He's asking of us because He's stretching us. But whatever it is, I challenge you, place yourself in His hands, place that thing, your sack lunch, place it in His hands because you're not the one required to do the miraculous thing. All the little boy did was just give his lunch. He literally just said, this is what I have. I hand it over. He handed it over. The miracle was not done by him. The mighty work was not done by him. And it doesn't have to be done by us either. We have to just trust enough, even at times that it's a sacrifice, and be willing. God, I just give it to you. This is what I have. It may not be enough. It may feel so tiny and little, and and like nobody would even want it. But he's the God of abundance and overflow. And the 12 baskets that were the the remnant of what was left from the miracle, they were full. God is just good at being God. Thank you for listening. I will talk to you next time, and I hope that it's really soon.